You're listening to the Jewel City Podcast. To help us spread the gospel of Jesus, give us a five-star rating. That'll help others find this podcast. In this podcast, we're diving into the book of Revelations with Lynn Cleland. Amen. Church, I have to open up tonight one question. Where is God seated at this very moment? He's on the throne. God is on the throne. You know, at the beginning of the week, I'm just going to say this. I was upset. There's a lot, a lot going on in our world right now. And I was upset. I was discouraged. And I said, Lord, what's going on? I want to tell you exactly what the Lord said to me. He says, am I going to have to send you Moses? What were the children of Israel doing, church? Complaining, moaning. And Moses said, there's a God. He's in control. He's on the throne. Church, we don't get our direction from anyone but the Lord. And the Lord has promised us that he's taking us home. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. And we're going to talk about those many mansions probably next week. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place that where I am, there you may be also. I've had so many people ask me, Lynn, what do you think of what's going on? Here's what I think. I don't really care. All I care about is God's in control. Amen? And how ironic tonight, you talk about God's timing. How ironic tonight that we start in chapter 17 where it talks about God's judgment on a religious apostate Babylon and God's judgment on the commercial Babylon, the government political system of Babylon. How ironic. So that's where we start tonight. We're going to start in chapter 17. You know, I learned growing up that this is something that I just wanted to talk about just briefly. I learned growing up that a name means a lot. Sometimes a name, there's things associated with a name, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad. My dad had a good name. When I told someone that I was the son of Pat Clellan, they began to talk. And they would tell me things about my dad. And I didn't have to be afraid of what they would say. I knew what they were going to say. I knew they were going to say good things. And that's what my dad taught me growing up. He taught me that your reputation, your name is very, very important. Because when your name is tarnished, it's hard to get that credibility back on that name. It's a tough job. So a name means a lot. So tonight we're going to talk about the city of Babylon. Remember we talked about Satan doesn't invent anything. 
He's a copycat. Jerusalem is the city of God. Babylon is the city of Satan. Babylon is the origination of sin, idolatry. And that's where Satan's seed is. It started in Babylon. And I'm beginning to think that Satan's seat is in this country. The Bible says, if we tell Satan the word of God, he flees from us. The word of God has left this country and we're paying for it. Our name is being tarnished. Satan works hard and he's relentless. He will continue to work hard and he's working harder because he knows his time is short. He will do anything to destroy God's plan. Anything. Tonight, we're going to learn what God thinks of the religious system of Babylon. He calls it some frightening names. It was hard for me to read the scripture. He refers to it as a harlot, a whore. False religion. Everything that I've talked about, church, I've always backed it up by saying this. Can you not see it? Can we not see this? When we study Revelation, have we not seen these type of things happening in our world today? We have. We've seen it. I had two scriptures. If you would stand to your feet, I want to read them. I wasn't going to read them, but I'm going to read them. The first one is 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's a familiar verse for everybody. I know we read this verse all the time, church. Focus on these words. God says, if my people. That word if is a small word, but it's a big word. If my people, which are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and do what, church? Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then, only then, will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will hear their land. I have one more to read in addition to that. Galatians, the sixth chapter, verses seven through nine. We're trying to fake God. What's this verse say? Don't deceive yourselves. You cannot mock God. For whatsoever a man soweth, he will reap that. 
if this country sows sin and evil, that's what we will reap. Church, it's time to stop playing games. God is serious now. I want you to hear me. The games are over. He's looking for a remnant bunch. He's watching us. He wants to know if you're serious. It's not business as usual anymore. Satan's turned up his heat. I, I need you to hear me. We can't think that we're just going to do like we always did and it's, everything's going to be okay. It's not. God sees in our heart. He, he knows who we are. Remember, we talked about Jesus with the flaming eyes. He sees through us. He knows if we're serious. I told the Lord, I'm done playing games. I ain't doing it anymore. Not doing it. I had somebody say to me last week, they said, Lynn, isn't this tough? Isn't it tough to do revelation? Yeah, it's probably been the biggest challenge of my life. It has. But you know what? It was tougher for Jesus to go to the cross. That was a tough job. And I said, you know what? I'm going to push through this. And I'm going to learn as much as I can about this book. And I'm going to tell other people about it. Because this is where we are, church, right now in this country. This is where we are. We're right here in this book. This is it. It's the end. It's 66. And God has us right here, right now. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you, God. Because, God, I know when I read your word, you talk to me. And, Father, I thank you that you've given me a voice. And, Father, I thank you that I'm not afraid to use it for you, Father. And, Father, I pray for truth. That's all I want, Father, is I want truth. Pastor said it this morning, I want truth. That's what I'm looking for is truth. And, Father, I know your word says your word is truth. And that's what we need right now. Father, I, I pray that you're with us tonight, God. I pray that you help me to reveal what I've prepared and studied, Father, and I present it in such a way that it's easy for the church that's listening tonight to understand. Father, I pray through Jesus, Father. He's our Redeemer, Father. He's our Savior. And we thank you for who your Son is. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we begin in chapter 17, as I mentioned earlier, God is now going to pronounce judgment on the religious Babylon. It's a system, a religious 
system that started years ago that has transpired into what we have today. And he's going to explain to us how all this came about. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that setteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Church, he's using the word wine here, and he says that they're drunk with her fornication. He's relating it to alcohol. One drink of alcohol normally won't hurt you, but the more drinks you take, you become intoxicated to a point where you have no clue of what you're doing. That is exactly what's happening in our world today. They have become so intoxicated with sin and with evil, man does not know what they're doing today. That's why you see all the craziness you're seeing now in our world. They're intoxicated with sin. They've done it for so long, it seems normal. The reason it doesn't seem normal to God's children is because we have the Spirit of God. We have a spirit of discernment that God has put within us to be able to discern between what is right and what is wrong. Those that you see that do not have that, do not have the spirit of discernment. They are drunk with their sins. And this is exactly what God is saying is happening here with the religious false system that exists in our world today and that has always existed since Babylon. Verse 3, so he carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness and I saw a woman set upon a scarlet collared beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Remember, this is a government system, the seven heads that we talked about, the ten horns, the ten toes that will exist in the end times, in those seven years. That's what's speaking of here. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet collar and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of, catch this church, harlots, Plural, not singular, plural. There's more than one. The reason I bring that out is because a lot of people will try to point to a certain church today and say that's what it's being talked about here. It represents any church that preaches, teaches false doctrine. That's the reason of the word being plural here. Harlots, not harlot, harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Verse 7, And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and the beast that carrieth her, which had seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, 
and go into perdition, punishment. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was, is not, and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman setteth. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet to come. And when he does come, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth in perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest, they're ten kings, which have received no kingdom as of yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them for the Lord is the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he said unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the horse setteth are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God had putteth in her heart to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Jesus has a bride. It's the church. Satan has a bride. It's this harlot. Okay. We already read in Revelation 16 and 19 and in chapter 14 and 8 the mentioning of the fall of Babylon. Chapter 17 and 18 gives us that fall in detail as we just read in 17. Babylon the harlot will be destroyed during these seven years by God. It will be the Antichrist forming what will be called a one world religion. Finally, the world will have that religion that everybody can agree upon. And in the middle of the seven, after three and a half years, the Antichrist will say, I have no more need for you. I've used you for all I need to use you for. Now I'm going to set myself up in the temple to be worshiped by everybody. You're no longer needed. That's what's spoken of here in the end of that chapter in 17. The Antichrist's goal, Satan's goal, as I've always mentioned, is to be worshipped just as God is worshipped. He wants everything that God has. It's the reason why he was kicked out of heaven, so to speak, and now he is, his realm is here on earth. God never forgets, church. He never. He remembers through time all of the people that have been martyred, that have been associated with this religious false system. And he remembers. The Bible says that God has books. And he writes things in those books. Not literal books, 
But God keeps track of things. And this is one of the things that God is keeping track of, is the falsification of his word. Okay? In the Old Testament, Satan seemed to have set up his counterfeit solutions in Babylon. To the Jews, Babylon was considered very evil. When it, says, when it says the horse sets on many waters, it means that many people, many nations have participated in this false religious system. It's not considered in the eyes of God a true church. They compromise. Remember church when we talked about the seven churches? I talked about how God's church has to be right. It has to be right. If it's not right, then the wrong thing goes forth into the world. So God says that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And here he's judging that. When he said it won't prevail, it won't prevail. He's judging that false religion here in chapter 17. It's so important. And I, I thought about this so much. A pastor of a church has such a huge church responsibility. He has or she a lot on their shoulders of responsibility. He or she has to make sure that the Lord's church is right when it leaves here if they're teaching and preaching here and goes to the world. If they preach anything other than the word of God, they will be held accountable before God. So their responsibility is great. That's why Jesus to the seven churches preached, it says angels, he preached and told the angels, the pastors of the church, this is what you're doing good and this is what you're doing bad. He wanted his church to be right. It has to be right. There's enough wrong there. This has to be right. Amen? Amen. Amen. I said there in that last bullet, I, I, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, a lot of people say this resembles the Roman Catholic religion, okay? I do hear that with the description of the, of the, the harlot and so forth, but it says harlots. It is a representation of any false religion. It doesn't have to be isolated to just one religion. It represents any religion that preaches and teaches False doctrine, period. This church, I tossed it back and forth whether or not the church of Laodicea would be the church that actually moves into the seven years of tribulation. I'm not sure about that, but there will be a false religious system headed up by the Antichrist that will preach and teach false doctrine during the seven-year period, okay? And we can see, as I mentioned earlier, we can see that worldliness, compromise, has already entered our churches here on earth. It's already here. We're seeing things today that we didn't see five years ago, just five years ago. So it's here now. It's here now. 
And God, the Bible says, is a jealous God. Whenever we worship, whenever we do things contrary to what God says in His Word, the Bible says He's jealous. And God won't take to that very well, as we can see here in this chapter. I said this earlier. A person that's drunk normally has no clue of what their actions are. In fact, they may wake up the next day and say, I, I, I have no idea what I did last night. And that's essentially, church, what people are doing today that are involved in a repetitious sin, if you will, a sinful life. It becomes easy for them. And I'm going to say this. The same thing applies when we forsake the assembly of God. We get used to that. We do. We say, well, you know, it feels pretty good just to sit right here and not have to go down and be with the saints. Anything that we do over and over again, church, becomes a, reputa a rep repetition. Sin, it acts the same way. It's, it's, it's like a disease in our body. It just continues to grow and grow until it gets to the point where Satan overtakes us. And now you're being controlled by him instead of having the Spirit of God inside of you. He's very clever. Satan does nothing immediately. He does everything very slow. Just take one drink. Just take that drug one time. It's not going to hurt you. You're going to have fun. You'll have fun tonight and then tomorrow it'll be a different day. Now everything will be back the same. That's how he operates. Everything very slow. Associate with these people here. Don't associate with these people. You see where I'm headed with this church? That's how Satan operates. Don't allow him to have his way and his cleverness in your life. Hold fast to God. Don't put your faith in what we're seeing on TV. It's of the world. The world is going to vanish. God's not going to vanish. God will always be here, church. Amen? Since... The, the, the reason John uses the word mother of harlots, and I, again, I, I emphasize the, it's plural, is because that idolatry traces all the way back to the beginning. Remember when Nimrod built the Tower of Babel? That's where it all started, was during that time. <clears throat> and in spite of all the fanciness that this harlot, this imagery that John's talking about here in these verses the Bible calls her a very severe word. And in the Bible, the use of the word harlot, it often illustrates religious unfaithfulness to God. So when you see that word in the Bible, that's normally what it always represented. So as we get to this description again, the beast that was... Remember when I showed you the statue, statue of Daniel, the four kingdoms? We started with the Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Greece, and then Rome. 
So the beast that was is the fourth kingdom in Daniel's statue. That was the beast that was, Rome. Rome was never destroyed, as I mentioned last, last week. It was divided into what we have now, the European Union. Okay? Divided, not destroyed. And then the Bible says that it shall ascend. The ten toes, remember last week we talked about the ten toes of the statue. This is going to represent a revived Rome during the seven years of tribulation. And each one of those countries will have a king. Ultimately, the Antichrist will be the king of those kings. He's only going to use them to get his job done, fulfill his mission. Once he's done with them, he's wanting to kick them to the side and say, now look at me. Look at who I am. So that's his goal. Seven heads, seven mountains, seven kings for those heads of mountains. Again, this is representing church government. So if you go seven, go back before the Babylonian Empire, you have Egypt, Assyria, and then those four, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then there's another one, there's a seventh. That's the ten toes. That's the revised Roman Empire that's going to be reborn again in this seven years of tribulation. So again, I've mentioned in here, John says, five have fallen, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. The kings of those, Julius Caesar, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, Nero, those five have fallen. And then it says, one is. Who was reigning whenever John was alive? Domitian. One is. Rome, during John's time. Yet to come, the revived ten toes of the new Roman Empire. That's yet to come. And then the Bible says that it will only last for a short space. Well, to God, seven years is probably a very short space. So that's what the representation of the short space is. And then it says that this king will be of the seven, but be the eighth final world kingdom ruled completely by the Antichrist. He will consume all the previous seven. Remember the scripture that I read last week when I said that Jesus was taken up onto a high mountain by Satan. And what did Satan tempt him with? If you fall down and worship me, you can have the kingdoms of the world. This is the kingdoms that Satan was talking about, these kingdoms, these seven kingdoms. But eventually, the Antichrist, which is an agent of Satan, will rule those seven in the end times, in the seven years of tribulation. Okay, but eventually be cast into perdition or eternal punishment. And we're going to see that here in just a second. The Antichrist will control those 10 new kings, the 10 toes, until 
God's plan is complete. God always has a plan, and he doesn't always use righteous men to complete his plan. We know that. All you have to do is read the Old Testament. You can see Nebuchadnezzar certainly wasn't a righteous king, but yet he used him to fulfill his plan. So church, don't get caught up in the things that you see going on currently in our country. That's why when people ask me, Lynn, does this upset you? Does this bother you? No, because God's in control. God has a plan. He has a program. And that program will go exactly the way God wants it to go. Exactly, to the T. It'll go just like the way John wrote it here in Revelation. Church, that's why I said at the beginning, it's so important to understand this book because this book pits us exactly where we are today. You can see things that we've talked about thus far happening in our world today. So it's important to understand this because you can show people what this means and how it relates to what we're seeing. Amen? Eventually, when the Antichrist takes over this ten toes, these ten kings, he's going to take those ten nations of this new revised Roman Empire and he will lead them to the battle, the last battle, the battle of Armageddon. And believe it or not, boy, I thought about this yet again. How could somebody be so naive to actually assemble an army to go against God. But we can see it though. People are stubborn. They are stubborn. They're relentless. They don't care. They see things happening around them and they're like, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And that's exactly what's going to happen in this battle. They're going to actually believe Satan is going to send his spirit over them to the point where they're actually going to believe that they can go up against God himself and defeat him and defeat him. And boy, do we have a surprise for them because we've got the answer right here. He's not even, Jesus, he's not even going to lift a finger. The Bible says that he's going to use the word of his mouth to destroy him. And what is that? The word of God. It's a two-edged sword. That's how he'll defeat him. He won't even lift a, he won't even, he won't even have a weapon there with him other than the word of God coming from his mouth. And he'll just destroy. And guess what the best part of that is? We're coming with him. We're coming with him. We're riding right behind Jesus on that white horse when he arrives. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. You know why it's awesome, church? Because we live in a world today where we get so messed up and stressed out over the things that we see going on around us that's evil, and yet we're going to come back with the King of glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and we're going to defeat that enemy that has given us all that trouble. How about that? How awesome is that? And he says, we're going to have, we're going to be dressed 
in the best. Fine, Rita, fine linen. That's what we're going to have on, the best. The Lord is going to give us the best. Even though we don't deserve it, he's still going to give us the best. I was talking with Carrie about this tonight. If that doesn't make you want to come up here and get excited and praise the Lord, nothing will. Nothing will. Church, when you make it to heaven, don't let that be something new that you've never done. Make it be, you know, Lord, I was doing it down there, but now it's just so much better because I've got these thousands of saints around me. I can see you on the throne. I can see Jesus on the throne. I can see the four beasts that we talked about, the 24 elders. I get to see all that. And we get to praise with all that. Church, think about that. Hundreds of thousands of people. Can you imagine the sound of our voices all together? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine all of us saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. We praise you. Hundreds of thousands from all generations, all the prophets. We're going to get to see all of them. You might be standing beside Moses. You might be standing beside Abraham. Church, think about that. That is awesome. That's awesome. I can't even imagine but you know what? I asked God, God, show it to me. I want to see it right now. When Carrie's leading praise and worship and there's people up here, I can see it. I can see that throne up in heaven. You know why I can see it? Because I have faith in it. I believe it and I've read it right here. That's why I can see it. I know what God tells me is true. I have faith in him that whatever he says, it's going to happen. I have no doubt. I don't care who's in the White House. I'm just going to be honest. You know who I care about? Him. I care about the God of glory. You know why I care the most about him? Because he's the one that's done the most for me. Amen. That's the truth. That's truth. God has done the most for me in my life. Let me tell you, I would be, pastors talk about, I would be dead right now if it wasn't for God. He's protected me my whole life. He gave me two godly parents, never suffered for a meal, never suffered for a roof over my head, got older, blessed my socks off. They're not real, they're material things. They make me happy. But you know what I long for? I want to see him sitting on that throne. That's what I want. That's what I want. I want to see God on his throne. I want to see Jesus. I bet you, I bet you, just by looking at Jesus, he'll cause you to have a smile like you've never had before in your life. His glory will shine so much, so much, Rita. You, people say, what am I going to do in heaven? I, I just want to see God. I could sit and stare at him all day. God and his glory, nobody's ever seen God. We get to see God. We get to see God. Amen? Amen. 
at the end of chapter 17, it says, after the Antichrist has completed his mission, he's going to turn on this false religious system. He's going to say, I don't need you anymore. It's going to happen in the middle of the three and a half. And you know why he's going to say, I don't need you anymore? Because he don't. Because his goal is, I just want to be worshipped. I don't need your, your stuff anymore. Look at me. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to deceive everybody and lead them into deception. Remember when we talked about the four horses, the white horse on which he's riding? Initially, he's going to ride with peace. His goal was peace. Smooth talker. Fast talker. To deceive. Jesus said there would be false prophets that go into the world and deceive. He's going to deceive once he's done that. And he's doing that today, church, if you allow him. He's doing it today. Once he's done that and gets you and gets you to accept his mark, then you lose your soul. And he's doing that now. Now, there's no mark per se, but that's his goal now is to deceive you to a point to where you lose your soul. That's his ultimate goal, is for you to lose your soul. And you know why that's his goal? Because he knows that's the most important thing to God. Anything that's important to God is Satan's goal to mess it up. Anything, anything. And as it says there at the end, all of this is being done to fulfill God's will, all of it. Okay, so chapter 18. So now we've talked about the religious, false, apostate, religious system of Babylon. Now we're going to talk about the commercial, the government, the political side of Babylon being destroyed. Okay? 18 verse 1, and after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with glory. Notice how it always says, after these things. He's saying, okay, now after that, we're going to move on, and we're going on to something else. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. I think the reason why he mentions that two times, church, is because we, we have two Babylons that's falling. We have an, a religious, apostate Babylon that's falling, and now we have a commercial, political Babylon that's falling. So he mentions it twice. The angel wants you to know this system of Satan, his seat, is going to be judged and destroyed by God. That's why, church, there's no need to stress out and worry about what you're seeing going on in the world today. That is the reason. Because right here, God's telling us, I'm going to take care of this. What does God tell us in his Bible? Vengeance is who? Mine, not ours. We need not worry ourselves about taking care of business in an area we have no business being in. It's God's to take care of. He's, I'm watching. Vengeance belongs to me. You don't have to go to your neighbor that just threw his grass clippings over on your yard or something and take vengeance. God's watching everything. 
You need to just focus on, we need to focus on being a light of the world and salt of the earth, especially during these times, especially during these times. People need to see a light in us, church, okay? They need to see a light. There's enough darkness. They need to see light. Verse 3, for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Remember I said earlier about a name? Wall Street. Wall Street's a name, but there's a lot of things associated with Wall Street. How about Hollywood? Hollywood's a name. We see those wooden letters on that hillside, but there's a lot of things associated with that name. A name means more sometimes than just the name itself. There's an association with that name. And that's what's happening here in these two chapters. Babylon is a name, but there's a system associated with that name that God does not like. And it says he remembered it, and now he's going to judge it. Verse 4, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Remember when he told Lot to get out of Sodom? My people, come out of that system. Get out of that system. Do not be partakers of her sins that you receive not of her plagues. I'm getting ready to judge that system. Now it's time to come out. Reward, reward her even as she rewarded you and double unto her double according to her works and a cup which she hath filled to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and she's lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I said as a queen, I'm no widow, you shall see no sorrow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day. God doesn't take long to bring this judgment. One day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. I said at the beginning tonight when I started church, God is on the throne. God is in control. And he's showing us right here who's in control. It's not a president. It's not a dictator. It's not any leader of any other country. God says, I'm in control. I am the one who gives you who you have. And when Jesus comes back, he says, I'm going to be the king of kings, of all the kings. All these kings that we're talking about, these seven kingdoms, these seven heads. Jesus says, when I come back, I'm the king of them. And it says he's going to have many crowns on his head. His crowns are going to represent his kingdomship, his king of all of the world's kingdoms. He's going to tell us that now those kingdoms that Satan offered to me, they were rightfully mine and I'm taking them back. They're mine now. They belong to Jesus. Give God a, a, a hand clap of praise. That just makes me, I, when I see all that and I know Jesus is coming back and he's going to be in charge, that just thrills my heart. It may not sound like it, but it does. It thrills my heart. Verse 9, and the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her and they shall see the smoke of her burning. 
standing afar off the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour thy judgment come, and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn, I bet they will. All the people that's made money off of this this evil, sinful system are going to set back and they're going to wail because they're going to see that system is getting destroyed by the Lord. I bet they will be really upset about it. Amen? That's right. It's okay. Verse 11, And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth her merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones, pearls. He lists the whole list of them here. 13, and cinnamon and odors and ornament. He's listing the whole gambit of it, church. Everything that's been for sale in this system is going to be destroyed by God. What did God tell us? Do not lay up in store possessions, treasures here. Why? Because moth and rust will destroy it. But that's our natural instinct. We like to grab a hold as much as we can grab a hold of. But God says here, I'm going to take all that away. You know, if that's what your focus is, God says, I'm going to take it away from you. If that's where you worship, when you leave here, if I'm just going to say this because I've been thinking about it for a long time. If you don't worship here, but you go out there and you worship, God says that's an abomination. That's idol worship. If you worship more, the things we... I love shiny cars. I like cars. I like to take care of them. I like to shine them. I like to wax them. I like for them to look brand new. That's not what I idolize. If you don't worship God here, but we're going there, that's not good. God says he doesn't like that. He's a jealous. He's a jealous God. 14, and the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee. And all the things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off from the fear of her torment. God's not going to mess around when he does this. The Bible says they'll stand afar off. They'll have a fear. They'll be afraid. When God takes action on this system, they'll know it. And it says they'll have fear. And saying, alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, decked with gold and precious stone and pearls, for in one hour so great riches has come to naught. And every shipmaster and all company and ships and sailors, as many as they trade by sea, stood afar off. And they cried. They cried. When they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city is like unto this great city? Wasn't so great to God, was it? To God, in God's eyes, it was a sinful city. You know why it was a sinful city, church? Because they loved themselves and they loved the things of this world more than they loved God. And in God's eyes, that's an abomination. It's an abomination. Verse 20, rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. Remember the cry from the altar church that we read, avenge our blood. When, O Lord, are you going to do this? Here it is. Here's the answer. Here's the answer. God's taking action. He said, just hold on a little while. 
I'm going to do this. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone. In Matthew 18, verse 6, I won't read it, but it talks about a millstone tied around a person's neck or the sins of that person. A millstone taking that person where? To the bottom of the water. And that's essentially what he'll do to this city. He'll take it to the bottom to be buried, to never be seen again. Verse 22, and the voice of the harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. No craftsman or whatever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of the millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by their sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all those that were slain upon the earth. So God now takes vengeance on that Babylonian evil system that has done so much to his children over time. Now we see judgments completed on man. We've seen all the judgments. We've seen the seven seals. We've seen the seven trumpets. We've seen the seven vials, God's undiluted wrath last week. Now we see, you see how complete God is? He's complete. Now we see his judgment on an apostate religious system and a evil political government commercial system. He's judged everything. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We need to worry about the small things in life and leave the rest up to God. Amen? Amen. I'm going to stop right there, Pastor. We never end any service without offering somebody that may be here that maybe has never accepted Christ as their Savior. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Church, we've talked a lot in six weeks about God's judgment that He's about to bring upon the earth. And we talked about Christ returning and rapturing His church, taking those believers that have believed on his name and have accepted him into their life. If you're here tonight and you question as to whether or not you've ever done that, I don't know that I've ever accepted Jesus. I don't know if something happened to me tonight, if Jesus would rapture me if he come back tonight. If that might be you tonight and you're not sure, you're not 100%... Because, church, you have to be 100% positive. You can't leave out a percentage. If that is you, if you slip up your hand, just slip your hand up. We'll pray with you. You'll become a child of God, and when he returns, you're going with him. Anyone. Amen. Father. 
I thank you, God, so much for tonight, even though, Father, I've somewhat lost my voice, Father, I brought what I think you've given to me, Father. And Father, I pray that as we come to an end of this great book, Father, Father, I love this book, Father, because you've revealed so much to us. I pray, Father, that more, Father, will come and hear They'll be able to hear this word, Father, and hopefully it will change their life because they've applied that word to their life, Father. We love you, Heavenly Father. We love your Son, Jesus, Father, what he means to us, the comfort and the peace that he brings to us in our life. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast. 